0: chapter 6. You'll find this starting on page 927 in your Pew Bible, continuing on to page 8. I'm going to read this passage for us, and then Dr. Rasmussen will come forward and preach the word. Isaiah chapter 6, reading the entire chapter page 927 and on to 928 if you're using your pew bible it's also on the large print sheets as well my friends listen listen to the very word of God in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, 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 For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged." Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, But do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Till the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet, a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree, or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. This time, Dr. Rasmussen will come and will preach the word for us.
1: I'm delighted to be with y'all this afternoon. Great folks, and uh, thanks, Frank, for doing a great job reading the scripture there. I'm also uh, grateful that that this pulpit was designed for a tall preacher, <laughs> because when I have pulpits, not that I'm I'm not as tall as this dear brother in the back whose name I forget, but. Uh, if you have to preach from a pulpit designed for a vertically challenged preacher, that's a, that's a hard deal. That's a hard deal for me. Um, but anyway, delighted to be with you. Let me just begin by asking you a question. Are you Are you a hopeful person today? That little voice inside you that no one else can hear, when you're all alone at night when you wake up in the middle of the night? Are you a person who smiles? Are you smiling on your future? And it's okay if you're not. Because if you're not, this, this talk is kind of especially for you. If we, were to, if we were to pass out truth serum in communion cups, would you be a person who's tending toward despair these days? I know there have been times in my life when things that have happened, they've been partly my fault and partly the fault of others. Things that have happened that have left me feeling like, surely God has nothing good left for me. God's not going to do anything good through me, with me, around me, near me, or any any place that has anything to do with me. So are you a hopeful man or woman, young person, or not so young person, this afternoon? And it's okay if you're not. The Hebrew prophets of the Old Testament, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, part of what they did was predict the future, or to be more precise, they declared (coughs) the future to bring warning and to bring hope to people. Two things that everybody needs two things that you and I need, and so they warned of God's judgment to come because a God who didn't warn wouldn't be a God of love. A God who just let the hammer drop without warning wouldn't be a God of compassion. But they also spread hope in hopeless situations, that God is filled with mercy His mercy has a good plan for the world and a good plan for your life and mine as we walk in that plan, no matter how hopeless things may seem. So the prophet Isaiah, he was an all-star at these two things, at bringing warning and hope. And this morning we're in Isaiah 6, which Frank has read, and it really is, I believe, the most important future prediction that Isaiah ever saw. And you know, everybody wants to know their future. Everyone wants to see what's around the corner. The very word hope looks to the future. A talking frog went to see a palm reader. You may have heard about him. And he flopped his froggy hand down onto the table and said, Tell me my future. And the palm reader looked and said, Well... I see by this crease here on your palm that you're going to meet a beautiful young woman who's going to want to know everything about you. The talking frog said, really, this is great. Tell me, where will I meet her? Will it be at a bar? Will it be at a party? And the palm reader, he said, no, no, no. I see it will be uh, next week in biology class. (laughs) Everyone wants to know a little bit about their future. And you know, the palm reader probably... How does, how does he or she know? The palm reader probably got it wrong, because people who claim to know the future, most of the time they don't. True story, a while back, there was a psychics convention in Paris, France. So a couple busloads of psychics, tarot card readers, palm readers, crystal ball gazers, all packed into the, the conference hall at the Sheraton downtown Paris, France, the psychics convention, and the newspaper was fired up about this so a reporter asked he said hey hey tell us we're excited here will there be another psychics convention next year and they said we don't know <laughs> but wait wait I thought so everybody wants to know a little bit about their future and the Hebrew prophets though were different than these weird psychic types they didn't read sol- read poems or cards, or crystal balls or tea leaves God told them what he was fixing to do so the Hebrew prophets were kind of like God is driving the bus of history and the Hebrew prophets were given the front seat opposite the bus driver so God would hey we're fixing to turn left at the next light oh thank you Lord I'll write that down so, Frank has read the text for us, and I don't really feel a need. I'm going to reread another part of it in a few minutes, just in case we forgot. But Isaiah saw this incredible vision of the Lord on a throne, high and exalted. And there's three, we have a simple three point outline for everybody this morning to understand what Isaiah saw to understand the great privilege that Isaiah and you are given, the great privilege, and then to do what Isaiah did, to to copy Isaiah. Understand what he saw, understand the great privilege, the great value that God places on you. When we're hopeless, we feel worthless. The great value God places on you, and third, to copy Isaiah. So Isaiah 6 is about two kings. Two kings, two kingdoms. King Uzziah and King Yahweh. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. Verse 5, my eyes have seen King Yahweh. Everyone here is a member of one of these two kingdoms. So let's look at each king one by one. The first king, Uzziah, reigned over... Old Testament Israel, the kingdom of Judah, for a long time, for like four decades. And just like us, Mr. Uzziah was a mix a mixed bag of failure and success, of, of good and and bad, of a mixed bag of strengths and weaknesses. His accomplishments for his tiny kingdom that would fit into Texas 75 times, a microscopic kingdom about as big as from here to Delonica. His resume includes building projects, fortresses, walls, military success. He expanded the borders. He was for the most part a godly man. Second Chronicles tells us that he had pride and anger issues. So I'm sure that none of us here have any of that. So, But he was, for the the most part, a positive influence. But then in 742 B.C., he died. And his positive influence came to a screeching halt. Well, what would happen then? Well, Isaiah had a front row seat in advance to see what would happen then, and more on that in a minute, but let's look at this second king in our passage, which is the most important vision, future vision that Isaiah ever saw. What about this king that he saw? Who might he be? Isaiah describes him using two common Hebrew words for God. Verse 1, Adonai, which means Lord, owner, master. And in verses 3 and 5, This king bears God's personal name in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Our English versions usually translate Yahweh with all capitals, L O R D, Lord. But Lord is just another title, like Captain, or Sir, or Boss. And Yahweh is a personal name, like Mike, or TJ, or Frank. So in verse 5, Isaiah said, My eyes have seen King Yahweh. And here, my brothers and sisters, here's the $64,000 question. What did he look like? What did King Yahweh look like? What form had Adonai assumed? Did he look like a bright light? No. Did he look like King Kong? Or Godzilla? No. Did Yahweh look like a lion? Or a tiger? Or a bear? No. Well then what did King Yahweh look like? Well Isaiah saw this king seated on a throne. That's a human being. This king was wearing a robe over his human shoulders. That's a human being. Isaiah saw Yahweh as a human being. In the New Testament, John chapter 12 is about Isaiah chapter 6. And John 12, verse 41, says that Isaiah saw Jesus 740 years before he was to be born. Around 300 AD, Eusebius Bishop of Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast was preaching from Isaiah 6, and Eusebius said, "Isaiah saw Christ and the glory of Christ in this vision." A hundred years later, Cyril, Bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, preached on Isaiah 6, and Bishop Cyril said this: "No one can deny." that the prophet saw the Son of God in the glory of God the Father. The on the future that Isaiah ever peered through was an advanced vision of an adult Jesus 700 years before he was to be born. Other uh, prophets in the Old Testament saw a very similar thing. Ezekiel saw it. Moses saw it, but Isaiah here is given what seems to me to be the biggest close-up of this in the Old Testament. And as we move forward here, let me give you a, an important detail. Whenever we read the Old Testament prophets, we need to keep in mind that they often didn't grasp the full implications of what God was showing them. 1 Peter 1.10 The prophet's Who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out. So as Isaiah stood there in stunned amazement, we, now that Christ has been born, lived a sinless life, died for us, rose, ascended to heaven. Now that these things have happened, we can see it with a little more clarity than what Isaiah had. So looking back now, the most important future vision that Isaiah ever had was that the creator, Yahweh, Adonai, was getting ready to split history down the middle by becoming one of us. Whenever I, I'm not the kind of person that when my feet hit the floor in the morning, I take a deep breath and say, (gasps) Oh, it's just great to be alive today. I tend to be more like the glass is half empty. Like, God, what have you done for me lately? And I know that's about as biblical as worshipping a watermelon, but I'm just trying to be truthful with you. And when I get into a pity party, I've lost focus on the fact that God has joined with humanity and has swept me up into that wonderful equation, and I'll be with him and he with me forever. I've forgotten that. So the most important thing Isaiah ever saw was that Yahweh was fixing to split history right down the middle by becoming part of the human race. To redeem the dark story of the human race, to redeem you, redeem me, by merging with us the creator joining his creation to take on and defeat sin and death for you, for me, on our behalf. So when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, he stepped into a 1,000-year-old prefabricated job description, put in writing in advance, there he is, the Lamb of God, the one we've been waiting for. So, unlike Uzziah, whose glory filled a territory about the size as from here to Dahlonega, this human king's glory, Isaiah says, fills the whole earth. Fills the whole earth. And he's as human today as he was the day he died for you. So, were he to walk through that door right now in the back there, we would turn and look and we would say, Who is that early 30s Mediterranean-looking man? He's late. He's about 45 minutes late. Who is that? So, two kings, a dead one, and one that was dead and rose again and reigns forever. Now, let's see what Isaiah has to say about these two kingdoms. You're a member of one of these two kingdoms, but you can switch from one to the other. And I'm just going to reread, for the sake of our memory, the last oh <coughs> five verses or so, starting again in uh, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So Uzziah had listened to God for the most part. His successors moving down the line as as their little kingdom went into a self-imposed swan dive into self-destruction. For the most part, his successors did not listen. Verse 11, Then I said, For how long, Lord? He answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth, that's a giant tree, and the oak leaves stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Now, the way the New Testament quotes, as we're we're moving toward the, uh, we're coming around the clubhouse turn here, approaching the finish line, The way the New Testament quotes and interprets the Old Testament, we see over and over again that the prophets did not fully comprehend. They could not connect all the dots of the significance of what they were being shown. So now that Jesus has arrived, it has clarified things for us. So Isaiah saw some things clearly and some things not so much. So he clearly saw Yahweh in human form. But he didn't realize that this would come to full eternal fruition in Jesus. He clearly saw that the people weren't going to listen to his warnings and teachings. He clearly saw that his tiny kingdom was going to be swirling down the commode, a long downhill slide of cultural, political, ethical, spiritual, decline, ending in divine judgment Judah's complete destruction at the hands of the Babylonians ruined cities, deserted farmland people hauled away against their will, far away from home, so Isaiah was called to be a prophet right on the cusp of his beloved country's swan-dive international suicide now I hope not, but could it be that we have that in common with him so where is the hope in that but here's the key thing that Isaiah could not see or did not understand at this point that we can now and this is where we're going to home in for our final 10 minutes or so he could not realize that the enthroned man that he saw would become the holy seed in verse 13 the human king who answers to the name Yahweh Would become the holy seed growing out of the stump in verse 13. So let's talk about what this means and are you are you hopeless this morning? Did you have a hope-filled week or a hopeless week? And if you're hopeless is it well-grounded hope? Is it hope with a firm foundation? Do you feel that you have a dim future for a bright future. The giant tree that's chopped down at the end of the chapter represents the collapse of everything that was important to them. A giant glorious tree and it represents the end of the Davidic line of kings. It represents the collapse of their whole lifestyle, their wonderful little territory that they had with nice homes to live in, nice farmland, and nice comfortable cozy life situation All of that was going to go the way of the Edsel. The stump of the giant tree chopped down is the destruction of all of that. And it's a picture of despair. It's a picture of hopelessness. Nothing good will ever happen through us again. We are toast. God has rejected us, God has kicked us to the curb. God will never bless us again, never forgive us again. It's too late. The felled tree represents hopeless tragedy. But wait, trees are hard to kill, aren't they? Anyone ever tried to kill a crepe myrtle? It's gonna come back up. A few months ago, around last winter, my wife was concerned that this really big uh, sweet gum tree was too close to our house and might fall on the house. So she called the tree-chopper downer people, and they came out and chopped it down, and uh, so now, now uh, it, it's gone, they, they took it down, but you know, you know what's coming next. There's just a stump sitting there, but that tree's not dead. There's new growth coming out of the stump, and throughout the ancient world, back then in those days, trees were symbols of eternal life. Just because trees are so hard to kill, you and I are easy to kill. I'm getting older and frailer as the years roll by, and so are you. You and I are easy to kill. I injured my foot, giving my granddaughter a ride on my shoulders. When I was 25, it wouldn't have happened. And it's because I'm get I'm heading toward my grave, and so are you. She likes ride She likes, you know, lots of jeeps. And man, the geezer busted my, I didn't bust anything, but injured my foot. And at 63, it takes for, we're not getting any older. Is our hope firmly grounded on the right thing? The chopped down giant tree symbolizes the extinction of everything that was important to them. The glory of a beautiful tree collapsed. And in verse 13, the Yahweh man talking to Isaiah cryptically informs him that the holy seed will be the stump of the tree. And out of the death and devastation and sadness and despair and failure and guilt, a new kingdom will arise because a king is going to rise from the dead. Isaiah didn't understand that the man on the throne talking to him was, would be, the holy seed a hopeless situation, a crucified man like a fallen tree, a dead man, a man that will rise from the dead and be enthroned to reign over planet Earth forever. The whole Earth is filled with this man's glory. The whole Earth, not just a little postage-sized stamp kingdom. The whole Earth is the Holy Land. The bluff, that's what they call this area, right? Yes. The bluff is now the Holy Land just as holy now as going if someone wants to fly to Jerusalem which I've never done so a kingdom there are two kingdoms there's two kings, there are two kingdoms a kingdom that's passing away dying like Uzziah and a resurrection kingdom that lasts forever one kingdom that ends in judgment one that ends in eternal life because the king has taken on divine judgment in our place and risen from the dead One kingdom that ends in death, no matter how great things may seem today. Another kingdom that ends in rejoicing, no matter how bad things may seem today. So here is what to do. Here's what to do. First of all, (laughs) um, point two. So I think we've gotten point one, a picture of what Isaiah saw. Now, very briefly, the privilege of what Isaiah saw. The incredible privilege of what the vision that Isaiah was given that you are important to God yeah. you matter to God and here's how we get that from our text in verse 2 the seraphs these holy angelic beings they shielded their eyes they didn't steal a glance at the God man they didn't dare or they weren't allowed to take a look But the ungodly human being, the one who admits that his vocabulary, I am a man of sinful lips. The one who admits that when he hits his hand, hits his thumb with a hammer, that that uh, he yells out words that he learned in church. The the ungodly human being is invited to stand there and take it all in and stare. So the angelic beings could not take a look. The human being was allowed to take a look, to feast his eyes. What does this mean for you? It means you're more important than an angel because God has not become an angel. He's become a human being for you. God has merged with humanity, become a sinless human being in order to give you the high privilege of knowing having him live in your heart by his Holy Spirit. So the comparison between the seraphs who couldn't look and the sinner who could is just placing a high premium on how important you are to God, how much you matter to God, no matter how you feel, no matter what your track record or resume may be. Um, you're very important to God, more important than you've figured out. Therefore, copy Mr. Isaiah. Copy Mr. Isaiah. He looked. The Bible doesn't tell us how long Isaiah just stood there staring. But I think it was quite a while. Amazed at this advanced vision of Jesus 700 years before he was to be born. So saving faith is symbolized several ways here in Isaiah 6. Isaiah looked at, the, at Jesus He listened carefully and heard. He confessed specific sins to him. I'm a man of sinful lips. Now, I, for one, since I'm an ordained minister, have never said any impure words ever in my life. And if you believe that, well, people who claim that are prone to lie about other things. So Isaiah looked, he listened, he confessed, he received forgiveness. He didn't turn and run when the angel came with the hot coal to touch his lips. And I don't think that Jesus wants to burn your lips. But I do know that he wants you to stand still in front of him. To look and listen carefully. Stand still in front of him. Confess your sins to him and let him touch you. Let him touch and heal and cleanse and forgive you. So... Look long and hard at the one that Isaiah saw. It's a tremendous privilege. You're more valuable to him than you've figured out yet. Stare at him. And that's our main takeaway for today. Um, God is king. Jesus is king. There's a human being in charge of your future and the future of the world. He plans to raise you from the dead, just as He's raised Himself. And therein is hope. There and there alone, ultimately, is hope. So let's pray together for a moment about this. Father in Heaven, every one of us here are a member, we're a member of one kingdom, the dying kingdom, or we're a member of the resurrection kingdom. And I pray that you would clarify our thoughts, I pray that every man or woman, young or old, would, uh, with the eyes of faith, like Isaiah, take a good long look, take a gander at the God-man, and like Isaiah, that we would hold still and listen to you and let you touch us with your cleansing and forgiveness, and that we would emerge changed, and that you would renew our resurrection hope, Take away false hopes from us. Cleanse and renew and intensify our resurrection hope. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.